Well, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless uh, the reading of his word as we read in 1 Peter, as we continue our study, as we look into uh, 1 Peter. And we're in chapter 1, and we're going to be looking specifically at verses 13 through 16 this morning. Uh, familiar verses to many, but hopefully that God will uh, bring uh, some truth to you this morning through his word and uh, speak to us through the power of his spirit as we look how to endure in our hostile society and our hostile world that we live in. How do we endure in these things? So let's ask God to teach us this morning. Lord, we are here. We are so blessed. And Lord, just thank you for the abundance in which you give us. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would would stir within us this morning to teach us, to, to open up your word, to make it live to us this morning. Pray, Lord, that you um, would work through me and, and get your word past my lips, beyond me, and not to be about me, but, Lord, to be about you, and, and that our hearts would be quickened through the power of your spirit to move and to do and to live out your word in our lives daily. Lord, so I pray that you would just challenge us. And through that challenge, that we'd be greatly encouraged as you work in our lives as your son and daughters. And Lord, speak to us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 13, we pick up in our study on looking at some keys and how do we endure, how do we survive in this hostile world, in our culture, in our society. And so we pick up our study in verse 13, And uh, as Peter writes to the church and as God writes to us, he says this, Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. One of the amazing things last week that we discovered is that our text last week didn't have a single command. And at first glance, as we just read this, it looks like we're loaded with verbs that are commanding us to do certain things. But in reality, in these verses we just read, there is only one command. And believe it or not, it is not be holy. Be holy is a modifier. In fact, all the other verbs are modifiers. They're modifying the one single command. There is one big point. And it's funny because as we say that, our mind automatically jumps to verses 15 and 16, but that's not the one main point. It's the result of the main point. And we want to talk about what that main point is. So I want us to discover and look at this living hope. Hope. Hope is an amazing thing. You know, have you heard it said? Some of you guys uh, have a, a doctorate, you know, doctor's backgrounds. Some of you have studied medicine. Some of you may understand some of the things I'm about to say, but it's been said that you can live 40 days without food. I don't know about that. I've never tested it personally, but 
It's been said you can live 40 days without food. And it's been said you can live eight days without water. Both of those I've never tried. Now, I've made it a week without food, and I've made it, you know, just a day without water. Uh, But I've been blessed with having lots of good food and lots of good water. Uh, I don't live in the city of Ferndale. I live outside Ferndale. So I'm blessed with good water. So, (laughs) so, So here's the thing. So we can live, but here's the thing. Scientists and doctors... I, I have looked it up. They have told me, and I have, as I've been reading, I have found out that, they, that people can't live without hope. They need hope. We need hope. Hope is huge. And here in 1 Peter, and in 1 Peter chapter 3, by the way, it says here, set our mind fully on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus that will be revealed in the last time. But this wasn't the first time that Peter told us about hope. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. We have a living hope because we have Christ Christ is not dead. He is alive. So the hope that we have, the hope that we have in Christ, the hope of his return, it isn't a dead hope. It is a completely different hope. It's living. Hope that God is talking about in our verses, this hope that we're supposed to set our minds on, it it doesn't mean wishful thinking. That's how the word is used in our culture. Our hope does not mean wishful thinking. Hope in the Bible is a confident assurance. It's being deeply persuaded that we know what our future holds. We know what our future holds because we know what Christ has done. And we know what Christ has done because Christ lives. And not only does he live, but he's going to return to take us home. Not only is he going to return to take us home, but in the meantime, he gave us the spirit that we will have a guarantee to give us the assurance we need to persevere and to have hope. So the world is living without hope. This hope, by the way, did you know that the hope that the Bible is describing, the hope that Peter is talking about here in verse 13, is a synonym of faith. It's not completely separate from faith. It's a synonym. Faith is this. Faith is a concrete trust of God. It's a present trust. I am trusting God. In the present, I trust the Lord. It is having faith. Our faith grows, and as God grows our faith, we, our trust in God, grows. But faith usually the majority of the time is talking about something in the present where future is where the hope is the future trust in the certainty of what God is doing and will do so where faith is about the present hope is about our future and so hope is just a synonym of the faith in which we have and hope here in our text is the focal point and it's talking about the second coming of Christ. It's what it says in Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We are hoping in the future. We're hoping we can't wait or we shouldn't. We should have that attitude of wanting to see the return of Christ. I don't know about you, but oh, dying of old age is great, but being caught up in the air with Christ is even greater. Right? Having that elevator effect of just going up and being with Christ, that would be something to behold of our King of Kings coming in the clouds and calling us home. That's the hope that we're supposed to long for. And I want to, again, express how important this is that Peter is bringing this up now for the second time. The church that Peter is talking to in the first uh, century, they were desperate in need of the fan of flames of their hope to be, you know, the fan that flame to, to get it burning. Uh, we were trying to start a fire, and we were just fanning the flame of that fire, and we just didn't want to take because everything was wet. Well, you know, the church was struggling. The church was struggling in the first century. They were depressed, they were persecuted, and they needed their hope fanned. They needed it to be set ablaze in their mind. The words which Peter are speaking to the church is so important They were experiencing unfathomable pressure. And this pressure was suffocating their hope. Let me explain. They were Christians in a non-Christian society in the middle of pagan Rome. They were suffering intense persecutions in all forms. They were experiencing slander, riots, Local police action, that they were being arrested and imprisoned. They were experiencing social ostracism. They were losing their jobs. They were losing their homes. And they were being intimidated. Doesn't that sound like our political culture? <laughs> yeah, doesn't this sound exactly like what we experience today? Isn't that amazing? The verses that we're reading this morning are not just written to that church, but they're written to our church. And they're vastly important to us. You know, as we talk about how they were persecuted, they were persecuted to the point that they they weren't even considered citizens. They weren't even considered to have any rights. And thus they were called aliens. They weren't even citizens, or they didn't have rights. They stood out. They didn't fit in. You know, as as uh, as Raul was apologizing for sharing, if we, he was he was just setting up through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just he was setting up our message today. It was awesome. To make matters worse, Nero was extending to the throne in Rome, and he was making it a point to call out Christians, to make it illegal to be a Christian, to kill Christians. And so uh, they were getting ready to experience even greater persecution than they had ever experienced before. So Peter writes these verses, and he writes this book to a people whose outlook is extremely bleak. But he wants to remind them that their uplook, their heavenly light, 
Their, their relationship with God is brighter even though they're experiencing darkened days. Their hope that they have in Christ is all the more brighter even though their future looks dark. They have a future in Christ. So Peter writes these verses to the Lord. I know I remember the first time I, we worked at a camp. Um, actually, my former church, we owned a camp. We just didn't work at the camp, but we owned it. And there was a group of Japanese students that came from Japan. Uh, and they came to at the camp. And this was their experience of America. Usually the first week in America was at our camp. Most of them were believers, not all of them. Uh, but I'll, you, you never forget the first time that they experienced night out at the camp because we're in the middle of the mountains. And as darkness set in, they were in shock of how dark it was. It was even a little fearful for them. They had never experienced such darkness. But then we told them, look up. Look up. And when they look up, this amazing brightness and expression began to just glow on their face because they had never seen the stars so bright. Some of them said, we never, we've heard of the, Gal- the Milky Way, but we've never seen the Milky Way. We've heard of planets, but up in the mountains, we could see the planets. We could see, you know, Venus and Mars, and sometimes we could see Jupiter on a very clear night. As it was just amazing. But it was, even though they experienced this amazing darkness that scared them, when they looked up, it was just a whole different story. You would find them outside their cabins at night, just staring up at the sky in total amazement. And that's exactly what first, that, this is what our verses are telling us. This is the point that Peter is trying to get across to the dark. So we are living in an extremely dark culture. And even so, our hope in Jesus can burn even more brightly. Our, our hope in the Lord can be even so much more brilliant and exciting. Sometimes it takes that extreme darkness for us to realize the hope that is burning so bright over our heads. And so as we look at our text, it's so easy, like I said, to skip and go down to verse 15 and 16 and talk about this holiness and to talk about all of this. But the really, the, the, the main point is found in verse 13. In, in our text, where it says, Therefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that has been brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and as we talk about the persistent pursuit of holiness, the point is this. The point is we must. Do you see this? We must. We have to. Right? We, it's not an option, folks. This is an imperative. We have to prioritize the pursuit of hope. That's what he's getting at. The first two verbs in, this, in our text in verse 13 are just modifiers. And, but the real 
important imperative is in verse 13. It says, set your, set or rest your hope fully on the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope completely, fully on what has been given to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We need to stay completely, fully. We can't have a partial focus on Christ. We have to have a complete focus on the return of Christ. So much so that it is burning brightly in us. Is the return of Christ burning brightly in your minds, in your thoughts, in your actions, in your words? Let me remind you that the Bible tells us that Christ will return suddenly. It will be with no warning. It will, he will just burst on the scene. And he returns to take his church home. And that begs the question. We're commanded to set our hope fully on the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is talking about the return of Christ. The Christ that will be revealed to us someday. And the question is, are you ready? Are you prepared? So how do we know? How do we prepare? How do we do this? How do we set our minds to where we're fully set our minds on the return of Christ? How do we set, do this? How do we be ready? Well, one, you have to be saved. You have to be saved. You have to know how to get to heaven. You have to know that Jesus paid for your sins, that there's none of us that are righteous. He took all of our bad and he paid for it on the cross when he died for us. And he rose again. He conquered death on our behalf. He paid for the wages of sin. He paid and he took all of our bad so that way he could give us all of his good. So we could be declared right before God. So we can no longer be under the wrath of God. We need to be saved from our sins. If you're not saved, then you definitely won't be ready. Because when he burst on the scene, it is too late. And the Bible tells us it'll be sudden. It's going to happen. No man knows the time. So will you be ready? The second thing is, is live our lives so that we are ready. Not bending or blending in with the world. And the third thing is to hunger for God. Hunger for his word. The Bible says in, 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 uh, to hunger like newborn babies. To hunger for the pure milk of the word. I don't know about you, but... We, Pretty much everybody here probably has experienced when a baby gets hungry, a baby is hungry, right? Can you just ignore it? No. You don't just say, oh, that's okay. Uh, the, you know, I'm going to go watch a football game. No. Uh, the baby just gets louder and louder and louder until you feed it. Do we eagerly long for the milk that way where we just get louder and louder? Do we are eagerly yearn for the return of Christ to where we get louder and louder and louder for the, for the Word of God? Does our desire grow? 
eagerly waiting for the Savior like a baby waits for the milk. They don't wait at all, do they? Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Philippians 3, 20-21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies. Praise the Lord. I know Marilyn can't wait often until her legs are made complete again one day. Right? I can't wait till I have a new back in glory. But our citizenship, we will be, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.7 So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope can't be half-hearted, folks. Our verse says, set our hope completely on the return of Christ. Are you ready? We spend way too much time focused on being ready for perishable things. We look at all the perishable things and we set ourselves, we get ourselves ready for all of them, but are we ready for the return of Christ? I love Peter being the great preacher and teacher that he is. He tells us how we can succeed at this command. And he gives us four things that modify this statement. And that is, we need to pursue a new mindset. Prepare your minds for action, he says. He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Gird up your loins. What on earth does that mean? Right? Gird up your loins. That just sounds weird. To me, if that was me, in, if, if, if I wasn't a preacher and had studied this, I would be like, is that something you're supposed to do with a, on a barbecue? You know, take a loin and, and get it all set and gird it and put it on the... I just was like, I was trying to think about what in the world does this mean? Of course, I've studied this, so <laughs> I do know. But I tried to think, what would it be like for anybody else reading this? What would they think? And it literally means to prepare our minds for action. It's, you know, gird your mind as a figure of speech talking about a Roman soldier that would prepare himself for battle. They had these long, flowing robes. If you wonder what that was like, think of a Jedi. (laughs) Some of you got the inference. They always have these long flowing robes and they go into battle with their lightsaber. And what do they do? They throw their robes off, right? Well, those Roman soldiers also had long robes. And, And those long robes, as you would think, would get in the way of being able to fight. So they would prepare themselves by grabbing the robe and tucking it into their belts and pulling it up and so that they can run and fight and jump, right? And so what Peter is telling us here is that we can't have any loose thinking. Our minds have to be girded up. We have to put it into the, right, Ephesians chapter 6, the belt of truth. We have to gird our minds up with the belt of truth to hold it up so we can be ready for action. Sadly, today, we're just glossing over the Word of God, and we're not ready for anything. I mean, we stub our toe, and, and immediately we just sound like the, word, the world, right? 
not the word. We sound like the world, right? I can tell you many times when I've stubbed my toes, it wasn't like, praise be to God, that I was thinking. Praise the Lord, nothing came out. I've learned to control my mind. Uh, half the things I think of up here when I'm preaching to you, I don't share with you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but we are supposed to not have loose thinking that would trip us up and drag us down. The Bible says take every thought captive. We can't have anything that ties us down and ties us up and, and helps and causes us not to be ineffective. So we lose our hope. Romans, in case you were wondering, Romans 12.1, this is the point. In verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? And Colossians 3.2, Set your mind on the things above. In the Christian life, in the Christian life, everything begins with our mind. We can't just go willy-nilly loose and about with just every care of life. We have to set our mind, gird it up, and set it according to the Word of God. We need to pursue a new focus. Look at the very next verb, the modifier that modifies being able to keep our, our focus on the return of Christ, on that great hope. He says, therefore, be sober. So, as you would expect, sober means don't get what? Don't get drunk. So why does he say this? Set your mind, you know, be gird up your mind for action. Set your mind, you know, prepare it for action. Be ready with the word of God. Tuck it into the belt of truth. And now he says, be sober. Literally, don't be drunk like a fool. Don't become like a fool. Think of a drunk person. They do foolish things. They sing awfully funny, right? They always, a drunk person always thinks they can sing, but that's not the case, right? They're not in their right mind. They're imbalanced. There's no self-control. Their brain is unplugged. Literally, what Peter is telling the church, if we are going to set our mind fully on the hope that has been given to us in Christ's then we need to literally keep our mind sober in all things. Don't let your senses, don't let your emotions become dull by the world. Don't be swayed by the world. Don't be drunk on the world. Don't take in so much of the world that you become like one of these fools who are imbalanced. Have you ever seen those people that are based everything their Christian life on only emotions, they're like this all the time because they're not setting their mind on the hope that has been given to them in Christ. Peter's telling us here to the church that we need to be sober. And he says the exact same thing in 1 Peter 4, 7. It says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be like, look, he says, look, everything is, the world is coming to an end. Just look outside at the news, right? The Lord is going to return. Will you be ready? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be sober-minded, he says. The next thing we see in verse 14 
It's kind of folded around the main point of setting our mind on the return of Christ, saying He is our hope. Without Him, there is no hope. He is our living hope. We don't have a dead hope. We need to pursue a new lifestyle. Look, if we look at verse 14, it says, as obedient children, literally in the original language says, living as obedient children. It says, it's not just telling us to be obedient, it says that we, should, we already are living as obedient children. So it's amazing, this is an, an amazing trickle-down effect. If our hope is fully focused on Christ, if our hope is in Christ and we prepare our mind for action and we're not getting drunk on worldly things, we will naturally just be obedient. We don't have to live by a set of rules. It will be a natural thing for us to just live obediently. That's why Christ said, I've, I've come to fulfill the law. We are called to live obedient lives to God. We and when we live obedient lives, we're no, longer, we're no longer affected by these worldly pursuits. We are called to a new life. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Guys, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the return of Christ. We know what's coming. Are we ready? Are we living like we should and that's the point that leads us to where we always draw our attention. And that is we need to pursue a new standard of conduct. Verses 15 through 16. But as he who has called you is holy. Look, we have been called by a holy God. We are called out of our sin into a new life. We were called out of death into a living hope. Into this new life with Christ. We were called by a living hope, by a holy God. And he says, you, you who are called you as holy, you also must be holy in your conduct. See, we have a new standard. The world around us is not our standard. What Peter is saying, look, folks, because if we're going to set our hope fully on the return of Christ, the only way we can live that way is if we are have, if we have a new standard, and that is God. He is our measuring stick. <clears throat> we don't measure our conduct by the world around us. And <clears throat> I got too excited. <clears throat> I forgot to breathe. <clears throat> Guys, this is the danger in the church. We look at each other and say, look how good we are. We look at the world around us and we look, we have a good church. Oh, bless you, son. That's okay. I was having a hard time breathing. So the thing is, guys, is we focus too much here. We focus way too much here. And we say, well, Pastor, why is my hope so dim it's because it's not there. Our conduct is not based on here. It's based on the holy God that called us, the holy God that saved us, the holy God that gave us the perfect Lamb of God, the only sacrifice that can take away our sin, the only one that can restore a relationship to, to himself. We are not that 
person that can do that. The standard, the only way possible, is in Christ. This is the conclusion. The persistent pursuit, I can't even speak with all these tongue twister peas. I don't know why I did this to myself. (laughs) The persistent pursuit of hope leads to a life of holiness. The Pharisees got it all wrong. Many religions get it all wrong. They try to live these perfect life, the standard based on what they see in our society, and it doesn't get you anywhere. But God's conclusion, the conclusion is as if we are set our hope fully on the return of Christ, if we're ready and set our minds for action and we're sober and not drunk on the world and we have a new, you know, this new conduct that we're focusing on, it'll lead us to this life of holiness, not based on our good works, but based on what God will do through you because you're resting your hope on him. Let me say it this way. It's not a life of holiness that leads to Christ. It's not a life of holiness that leads to a Christ-focused life or leads to Christ, but it's, it's Christ that leads us to a life of holiness. And as we close, I ask you this question. Is the world filtering the holiness of God out of you? You know, when you do searches on the computer, you have those filter things so you can filter out all the unwanted garbage and get right to the point. Well, is that what the world is doing? Are they filtering out the point of your life? Are they filtering the holiness of God out of you? Or is God's holiness filtering the world out and filling? This is the key. When God's holiness filters out the world in your life and the sin begins to dissipate, he replaces what he's removed with his unfathomable joy, his amazing mercy, his amazing gifts of grace in your life. As the world goes out, all of that goes in. Are you ready? Because Christ is on the way. Christ is coming. He's coming soon, right? What is that song? How's it go? Christ is coming at maybe, he's coming soon. It may be morning, maybe noon. How's it go? I forget the rest of it. Maybe evening, but it's soon. I don't know. I'm just rhyming now. But he is coming. He could come before I even finish and let you go home and eat. He may come on the way home as you're driving. And boy, that'll shock some people on the road. The key is this, guys, it doesn't have to be a shock to you. You know, when, when I long to have my grass cut, it doesn't surprise me when it gets cut. Because I usually make it happen, right? I usually see it through. If you are longing and your hope is set fully, that's the command. That's the whole point. If your hope is set on the return of Christ, 
you will be, there won't be a shock. It'll be a shout of joy. And we praise the Lord, finally. But for some, it is going to be one of the saddest days of their life when they realize that they knew about Jesus, but they had no relationship. You know, I know a lot about computers, but that doesn't make me a computer engineer. Just because you know about the Bible and you know about that there is a God and you know that there is Jesus doesn't mean you're saved. We asked uh, Pastor Ralph, that was the fun part of, I, for me, it was talking to all the people at the parking lot party. I'd ask, Pastor Ralph and I would ask him, do you know Jesus? They'd say, yep, every time. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy in the Bible, was one of the answers. Oh, yeah, he's, you know, love, you know, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And they would tell me that. And I was like, oh, so do you know how to get to heaven then? And there would be a blank slate. They have no idea. Don't be one of those guys. Put all your faith and trust in Christ. Give him your life. Repent of your sin. Turn to him. He is calling you. Don't be caught. Guys, don't let us, don't let our neighbors be caught unaware. Don't let your classmates be caught unaware. Don't let your coworkers be caught unaware. I can't fill this church. Only God can by us telling people about the return of Christ. Are you ready? And if you're not ready, then go to him in prayer as we close this morning and make sure that you are ready. Be ready. Be excited. Set your hope on Christ, not on your life but on the life of Jesus Christ who died for your sins. Lord, do the work that none of us can do. Convict the heart. Draw draw people to you. Lord, if anybody here is not called out to you, that they would do that this morning and, and be saved from their sin, from a life of eternity separate from you in hell and be ready for the return of Christ. Lord, may it just convict the rest of us that maybe we haven't been setting our hope on the return of Christ, but we've been hoping on these perishable things around us. Lord, help us to follow through with your game plan of these four-step process of girding up our minds, preparing it for action, being sober, not drunk on the world, or being, living as obedient, sons and daughters, and having a new code of conduct in our life, looking to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Lord, I pray that you would just bless us with people coming to know you. Lord, I pray that you would bless us. Give us the opportunity of sharing our faith and this amazing work that you've done for us on the cross. Give us the opportunity to see new lives birthed into your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.